Welcome to the Tiad Popcast. I'm Leland Steele. I'm Moby. And <laughs> Hello, listener. <laughs> and Marty's still not here. Oh, yeah. And Marty's if you, still If gone. you thought he'd rejoin us for well. the end of 2018, <laughs> then you don't fucking know Marty. <laughs> he was too busy at some bar yesterday hitting on some girl that's not his wife. So. Yeah, apparently. He didn't even uh, didn't even have the, the foresight to get her number for her. Single Leland here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Leland is the last single member of the team. This is crew. true. This is true. Uh, despite his growing fame on Twitter. <laughs> well, Leland Seal is a household name. 103 followers. Yeah. It's because I'm like, I'm too intimidating. I'm no longer approachable. That's it. It's yeah. like you have this level of animal magnetism. I just hit 505 followers on Twitter last week. You did? Yep. 505? Woo! And only 501 are Russian bots. I know. So, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't, uh, if you couldn't tell already, listener, we unfortunately do not have a guest for this episode. We had one planned, but then timing didn't quite work out. So, because uh, she's a terrible, horrible, awful person. And uh, hopefully she doesn't hear that, and then we'll still want to come on for next month's episode. So, hopefully, next month we'll have on our <laughs> guest. <laughs> uh, but it does leave us with the rare time now to do a condescending ah, controversy, yes. which we'll get into after banter. Absolutely. Well, let's start in banter. Sure. And the thing that I want to bring up, I've only got one. I usually try to keep it to one or two. That's um, very thoughtful of you. Leaves room for, for my muscle five, Four score and five banters <laughs> ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I I got to fill the fill the dead air of Marty Monologue. No, no that's right. <laughs> Marty Monologue. That's so... Oh, we do not miss those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for banter, I've got... I'm pretty excited because we're going to play it at the uh, T-Hud Christmas party next weekend. Um, Smash Bro Ult- Ultimate has been released. Yeah. Uh, 93% score on Metacritic. That's crazy. That is very crazy. You just start reading it, it's like 100, 100, 100, 100. And it doesn't have a single bad critical review, not one, by a critic. Um, and now user reviews with like well over 400, it's at, it's scoring about 85, an 85 score, which is still really, really good. Mm, okay. Um, but... Yeah, it's, so I'm really excited about it coming. Pure Later actually tried to deliver it, and I wasn't home. It was like yesterday they tried a Saturday delivery. And they oh. didn't deliver it to the stupid Pure Later shop, which is right beside my apartment. They're going to try for I, a second delivery. Oh, it's interesting because I recently discovered that little shop. It's oh. like not even a Pure Later. It's like it's like it's something it's that like offers Pure shop. Later. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, this is right by Moby's place. That's right. Because I, I went and I for the, our new mic boxes, the foam got delivered there because oh, okay they were actually they also tried a saturday delivery and it's funny i saw the pure later that saturday drive up i'm like oh hey pure later's here i wonder who's getting the box it's <laughs> 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 supposed to be for me not 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 no sorry i'm playing video games no. whoever you are come back later um yeah i'm really excited about playing it it's got uh, over 80 characters which is insane yeah that's ridiculous um, plus it's got uh there'll be dlc characters i don't know who like, who are you possibly going to DLC? Like, a tree from Mario 64? It's like they've got every character <laughs> ever invented. Or no, the, the tree, invented. like, from Kirby that spits apples at Kirby. Or there you go. He was in the background in Smash 1, and now he's been enlisted for Smash 5. Here we go. Five, well, so. I mean, they, they're running out. They're, the pool is running dry now. They <laughs> literally have no one else to put in. 
So I've heard rumors too that it's got an epic single player campaign. It's like some oh. massive open world thing where you go and fight. Really? And it's like a whole game on its own. So I'm really excited about playing that. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited about uh, bringing the Switches together um, next weekend. Uni- uniting the Triforce. Uniting the Triforce. Because <laughs> it will be three Switches, right? It you have to bring be. the whole Switch. Um, I think you do, and I'm going to bring my dock and my classic controller as well, because you can do up to eight players. So yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Fit in. And um, actually, I just found out yesterday that the only type of gaming my girlfriend has ever done was she used to be super into Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, and I'm like, really, baby, come next weekend, you and me <laughs> going to be Smash Brother Paris. She's like, I've never played it. We're going to be Ooh. smashing like hardcore, baby. That's We're going to be smashing for hardcore. Hard smash <laughs> with T-Head. You either smash, <laughs> you smash, you get you busy smashing or get busy dying. Ah, uh, that's so, yeah, that's all I got. So. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that, too. All right. Uh, okay, well, I want to bitch, you know, I want to bitch about Fallout 76 just because it's, like, the cool thing to do right now. Everybody's yes. bitching about it. I think I've expressed on this podcast before that I don't really give a fuck about Fallout. Now, I'm a big fan of Elder Scrolls, but Fallout, I don't know, uh... I, the only one I really liked was Fallout New Vegas for for whatever reason. I don't know why I like that one a lot. Um, better than Fallout 3. Fallout 4, I've said numerous times uh, to you guys, Moby, and, and argue with Marty that Fallout 4 was just, it was just like, uh, it was lazy. It was just, yeah. it was just, it was the exact same thing as Fallout 3. Um, they didn't do anything new. They just, so here comes Fallout 76. And, it's fucking criminal what Bethesda has done yes. with this game. It is fucking criminal. People are livid. They should be. Holy shit, they man. This be. game is super buggy. Uh, I've heard... Basically, the biggest complaint I've heard of this game is that it's just, like, boring as fuck. Yeah. It's just super yeah. boring. And for those who don't know, Fallout 76 is supposed to be the first attempt at making the Fallout franchise like a multiplayer so you you get out in the wasteland, you get out of Vault seventy six, and um, it also retcons some of the Fallout history, which I don't know about, but apparently people bitch about that too. But you get out in the wasteland, and you're able to go and get in and, and play with your buddies in the wasteland. You know, you may force some parties, go take on some legendary monsters and all this crap, and that it's just it's just boring. There's there's no NPCs. Uh, the one thing that you know was always good in 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 Bethesda games in general is uh, uh, you know, interesting NPCs in the world that you 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 meet and you interact with, and there's none of that. There isn't a single living NPC in this entire game. It's all it's either robots you talk to. Apparently, the main story points are told through like audio logs that you pick up throughout yes. the game. Yes. Now, I like my I myself. I like audio logs, but I don't want to be told the whole story through an audio log. That's ridiculous. Like, the, I think the best way that audio logs are implemented is. Just to give the game some ambience, like uh, like the way the way the collectibles in Bioshock was done way like over a decade ago. You get around and you're picking up these audio logs in Bioshock, not necessary to any plot points. They don't you don't have to go pick them up. They're just like uh, one of the random collectibles you can get, and they tell you stories of Rapture before it went to shit or as it's declining. Like you get all this cool history. It's it's lore. It's not story. It's lore. It's just. It's fucking criminal. Yeah, I watched some videos on it because I was interested. Actually, it was from you. You inspired me to look up what was the 
condescending controversy. You know? <laughs> Fallout 76. And it did look boring as all fuck. This guy that was talking about it made some interesting points. He said like 85% of the enemies or so seem to be something called the Scorched or Scorchers. Oh, yeah. Which are these like burned body things. And so basically you just walk through endless terrain where there's scorched bodies and some are just like actual scorched bodies they're like dust you can break them down and steal from them and then some like unfreeze and they're actually living scorched but then they only take a shot or two always and you loot them for the same stupid shit that he says is totally not useful yeah and you're right he was complaining about the audio logs he was complaining the p versus p was stupid you just run into people and you have these dumb gunfights where it takes three or four shots um well even um initiating the pvp you have to okay you go up and you find some dude so i think the main concern of course was they didn't want you know they wanted to make it so griefers couldn't be going around and like spawn camping people mm-hmm. actually right and so you had to go up you had to initiate pvp if you shoot a dude i think i think this how it was you shoot a player and if they shoot you back PvP is initiated. Yes, it initiates a duel. Yes, a, a duel. duel. Yes. Like, a, like a French duel. You, you, shoot him, you shoot him with your shotgun. First guy shoots him with his shotgun. Doesn't do any damage. It's basically the glove slap. Yeah. And then <laughs> second person, okay, I accept. Shoots you back and they, hit, and they get first hit on you. Like, you know what? Honestly, spending three minutes loading up a fucking flintlock is probably more fun than the PvP <laughs> in that. You know, putting in the little bit of powder. Having a nice chit-chat about yeah. brandy and industry. Take your ten paces. Oh, have you heard women are going for the vote in the next decade? <laughs> oh, 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 jolly good. About face, yes. Shall we duel now, sir? Honestly, would, it, would a duel mini game that's an actual duel not sound more fun than what Fallout 76 <laughs> Oh, man. It just... would be. You know, it's Christmas, Charles Dickens, yeah. you know, Christmas Carol, have a duel. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it looks boring as all hell. Yeah, it looks bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's just, it's literally Bethesda. Okay. The, the Bethesda, they, they're like touting that they've. All these myriad of all their studios is like have was working on this. And like there's no way these these expert studios were putting out this shit. We're putting in any amount of time that's needed for a triple A title like this. Well well, I've heard that Bethesda is saying, you know, like, oh, it's just the beginning, we're gonna release lots of new content, this or that, but then they're basically admitting that they've released an incomplete triple A game for full price. Yeah. Which should They're not apologetic annoy, at all. Not apologetic at um, all. And it should make everyone absolutely livid. For a solid two months or two weeks, sorry, there was radio silence completely from Bethesda. Um I don't know, it's just really devious. Like they okay, so the first off, they did uh, Bethesda did not allow this game to be bought and sold on Steam. You could only do it through Bethesda's own site, meaning they have full control over who, uh, if at all, would get a refund if they wanted one. Because mm. if I bought this on Steam, played it for an hour, which and found it unplayable, one because of the severe bugs and and glitches in it, uh, and then I would just get my sixty dollars back, and yeah. then nobody's making any money. So. I don't know. That's shady. Um, there's a $200 collector's edition that came with a uh, power armor helmet and like this duffel bag, uh, this nice canvas duffel bag. And then when people got their things, the canvas duffel bag was replaced with a nylon bag because they ran out of materials during production and just replaced it. Wow. Without notifying any of these collector edition orders, right? That's so bullshit. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, and, and like... 
less than a month after release, like the game dropped to like forty bucks. Like <laughs> the price just keeps dropping. Well, because nobody wants it. And I think it's interesting because you have this game juxtaposed to Red Dead Redemption 2, right. which is supposedly like a classic of the modern era. Right. So you have these two AAA titles released so close together. Yeah. In my mind, it almost makes um, Fallout 76 look shittier and like worse on Bethesda. It's like you guys were working on these two AAA projects on these prestigious franchises at the same time. Look where one went. Sure. Look where the other totally, went. Totally, totally. So. Uh, yeah, I just, I can't believe it. I mean, the the Bethesda just needs, they need to update their engine. Like, their engine they, the engine they currently use, whether or not they, it needs a whole overhaul, for one thing. There are still, like, power armor glitches in this game that have been in their games for 15 fucking years. <laughs> it's the same glitch. And what Bethesda does is they release these fucking games. One, they're always buggy. That's like a thing. That's a running gag. Okay, great. Bethesda games are always buggy. Then the community doesn't do does their own mods and then gives it to the rest of the community. So Bethesda just relies on the community, you know, their fan base, their hardcore fan base, to fix their games for them. Mm. Fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. Should make people absolutely live it. I don't absolutely. get I don't understand. I don't get why people would keep going back. Like Okay, so this obviously is being huge concerns for Elder Scrolls Six, which was announced at this year's E3, and for some game named Starfield or something. I don't know what the fuck that's about. I don't know. This is just, it's just so ridiculous, so ridiculous. You should have like an episode where we bring up like the most ridiculous games and topics. We can throw Star Citizen in there. Yeah. This bloated, it hit $200 million of funding last week. I mean, it's wow. like, it's so beyond. Holy shit. And actually, actually, they are starting to tie things together. And the community is starting to say like, wow, okay, shit's getting done. Like they have a full-size planet. That's like cool. Like a full-size planet. Finally. Finally. So how many years does that take? Like six yeah, years? Yeah, like five years, <laughs> six years. But um, it's kind of at the point where things are starting to funnel in, where it's like, Updates are getting bigger and things are tying together because they have the basic framework. That That's a banter for another time. But, um, right. yeah, anyways, I don't want to dive into that. Ugh. But, uh, fuck you, Bethesda. Fuck you, Bethesda. Screw you, Fallout. Well, since we're in the movie, I'll never yelling, play another Fallout game again, I've decided. Okay. Until they <laughs> do the Fallout Pretty Little Liars spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty Little Nukes. Pretty Little Nukes. All right. Um, should we dive into condescending yeah, controversy? Let's do it. Let's do it. Were you uh, going to introduce this? One? Yes, yes, I am. Okay. So, condescending controversy. So, this is where Leland and I are supposed to rage at each other over right. the topic. So, this is the second time we've done this, right? And the first time we mostly agreed. I know. And I know we're going to like concede so many points on this one. Yeah. Um, this one was my idea, but I kind of wanted to have a debate on whether card games, card-based games are superior that are exclusively card, okay, or board games where you have a physical board, which are better. Okay. And I want to take the stance that card games are better. And I have the following points, All right, which I will uh, be happy to discuss. Sure, let's do it. My first point and my biggest point is that card games provide a clean palette that is disconnected from a board. When you have a board, your game is always going to be tied to that board. And you look at a game, you know, in comparison like Magic the Gathering, 
where it's all mechanics based on those cards. And you can have 25 years of new mechanics being made because they're completely, they don't have to be tied to a physical space, which is a board. Okay. Second, well, actually, I just said that. Um, card A card-based game thus solely relies on mechanics, which I think gives more flexibility and a longer lifespan potentially for the game, especially when it's a collectible or living game. Okay. I'm seeing that smirk. Okay. I'm seeing that smirk. I'm going to let you finish. Uh, Third, I think this is a very minor one, but portability. I think the idea that the card game is so small, you can just pack it easy. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a big one. Um, I think it's easier to make money off a living or collectible card game versus a board game, even if they're a board game, like the board game involves, you know, expanded tokens you can buy later or whatnot. I just think cards buying like a booster pack is uh cheaper to develop cheaper for the player to purchase you look at like those miniature games like star wars miniatures and warhammer yeah. how much it costs to get to expand those with actual figures yeah um or your beloved hero scape look at how much that was yeah so that was my point um my final point was that it's simpler for a new gaming company um, assuming they have talent and they want to, you know, actually get involved in the business, it's simpler for them to jump on with a card game than to jump on with a board game. I mean, I know from making that expansion to Fiasco that I did, right? That through that company, I in with my limited graphic design skills, I could easily make my own card-based board game. They have that card stock; it's cheap. I could totally make decks in my own collectible card game if I wanted Okay, to. I think that ties in back to your money-making point. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, that's all five of my points. So, okay, respond or... Okay, I'll respond. I will respond. All right. I will respond. So, first I want to start with the way I looked at this. I predominantly will be arguing for a gameplay experience. Uh, outlook, right? Like, okay. I, I'm, I mean, yes, all your outside, like, you know, monetary factors and the portability thing, those are all good points, and I can, I could agree with them, but I, I'm gonna focus more on gameplay experience, I think. So, I want to go to your mechanics, you're relying on mechanics and the flexibility. I think that a board game offers. Uh, more flexibility and uh, variation just because of the additional components that you can come that comes with it and it gives you a wider access to uh, two more mechanics I think mm. now mechanics that I will you know are certainly uh, specific only to board games because they can only be implemented with physical components that would come in a board game so you made the distinction that solely like solely card games only with yeah. cards not card driven games yes okay that's a good distinction too because i mean there's okay would you say um legendary encounters alien you've we've played that before is that a card game or would you consider that a board game i did consider that when i was thinking about this topic and i would consider that a board game because it's tied to that playmat okay Yes, it is tied to the to the to a playmat, but it's you could play without the playmat though. 
like the playmat is just giving you handy you know areas for which you would lay the cards now you think of playing magic you could get a you can get a player little mat for magic that has you know oh, okay i got a slot for my library goes and my graveyard okay up here is my creature area deployment here's where i store my mana like it's a, it's very similar yeah you're actually changing my mind on that as i think about it i think i think with i, with I think board with games, that game yeah i think with a lot of board games board games allow you to get the best of both worlds so i within the definition of board game you have the hybrids right which maybe we could just classify them as our own thing. Like, okay, when we think of a straight straight board game like, comparison, like how about, uh, um, I guess we can, let's just compare with Downforce. Yeah, I was we're, thinking we're the same thing. We're, we're going to talk, talk about, about it later. Downforce so. later. so let's just compare it to, to Downforce. So Downforce is a card-driven game, but yes, you're right, it's distinctly tied to the game board. board. You could not play that game without the game board. Very similar to uh, Twilight Struggle is a card-driven game. Right. But you need the board. So those are board games. Right. Those are what you're considering board games. Yes, exactly. But you wouldn't consider those to be fall into the hybrid category? Possibly? No. Okay. Because right. they can't they're so connected to that board. Okay, but Okay, yeah, all right. That's a good point. That's a good point. So Okay, what was well, your Well, and you look at downforce, yeah. okay? So you can flip that board for the more complicated track. Yeah. But unless they come out with other track boards that you buy later that's yeah. all you're ever going to have you well, are mechanically bound to those two tracks uh yes that's true and they have released an expansion called dangerous circuit which i do have but we have not i've not oh, played with you indeed um it is a great expansion which i'll well i'll talk we'll talk about it at the end of the okay, episode yeah but uh yeah no that makes sense but the same is true with the core set of any card game is mm. it not you okay you if you take you take um uh, you know, okay, let's go all the way back for Magic. I mean, we're always going to be going back to Magic, right? Yeah. It's like this. It's like a staple card. Sure. Game. Let's go back to Magic, and you think, uh, okay, so when I first started Magic in the late '90s, I was, you know, getting starter packs from like Portal. That was the set, right? Okay, so here comes Portal. Um, you get your st- okay. Let's. I'm trying to think. What was standard back? You had Tramples. You had Haste. Um, right. You know these mechanics, but you you get into the latest. Um, uh, MTG set I forget what the name is but like it has a mechanic called Surveil this is a brand new mechanic for this set where Surveil you 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 basically scry but instead of putting it on the body of your library you can toss it in your graveyard instead if you don't like it mm. that mechanic hasn't been in Magic for the last 20 years exactly but now with this new expansion which that's all you can do with card games is release sets these new sets are, are all intents and purposes expansions right exactly yeah that's all right. you still are only bound to the mechanics you have in that set right what i'm okay but but to one of your other points you were saying that it is much easier to expand upon the card game because it, there's a greater accessibility for publishers and designers within the card game space very much so and what my point would be is if you were to buy a modern magic core set or pretty much any collectible card game they'll often have strapped with them one or two booster packs right off oh, the bat okay. to vary that okay. original set. So that was going to be my one slight counterpoint. Okay. Um, whereas, like, I don't think you could ever expand the card set to downforce. I mean, it's probably physically possible, but I don't think they'd do it. Um, the only thing that they have exp- uh, expanded in downforce is, are they give you additional car powers. 
Um, but yeah, like the, the cards that move the cars, uh, you have theoretically, you have to assume that that deck is balanced in some type of way as as much balance as is possible, mm. which is always varied, of course, by the positioning of the cars on the track and what cards have been played before, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, why would they need to add more cards to that, mm. right? That's... I, I get your point on that. I get your point on that. One place I'm going to agree with you um, with the user experience, and I knew that I would have to concede this coming into the debate, is the whole tactile experience. Yeah. Like... Yeah, the models are expensive and they're bulky and whatnot. But to actually move race cars around a physical track with your friend, it you could make a racing card game, I'm sure. But you're not going to have that same experience. A card is always going to be a card. Right. So you could almost throw that back in my face. You could say, yeah, Moby, a board is always a board. Yeah. But look what you can put on the board. Yes. But with the card, well, that was, most you can put on is counters. That was one of my other main points is um, I feel that for generally the board game can be way more immersive for for the playing yes that was one of my largest points of course there is a flip side to that representation where i'm thinking of like lords of Waterdeep, which i don't know if i've ever played with you i don't think so but it's a DD themed um basically uh set collection game for all intents and purposes so you are playing lords of water you are a lord in Waterdeep, and you are moving your pawn around this board it's a worker worker placement is the, the main Worker place and set collection, right? So you're trying to perform these quests by collecting uh, either warriors or hiring, I should say, collecting. Hiring warriors, clerics, uh, mages, and rogues to, you know, send them off on these quests. A quest may need three rogues and four warriors, etc. right? And when that first game came out, the warriors and the rogues are just represented by colored cubes. So it's you do have the flip side where you do get that abstraction one, I think, mainly because of uh, price point. Uh, if you, what else would you include in that? Now, after that game's release, there was a, a company. God, I forget what the company was, but they basically made laser cut like rogues and warriors in the colors of these cubes to replace oh, as the cool. cubes, right? But of course. Um, if that was to be included in the base game, the the game would the price would be jacked up probably like fifteen bucks, right? So again, it comes back to your your point, which is valid about you know barrier to entry for publishers and designers and developers, etc. And rate of return, I think, is a big is a big point. But I I uh, as far as accessibility comes from gameplay experience, I think CCGs and LCGs are much less accessible than a board game for the consumer i think yeah you you kind of wonder you look at like monetarily anyways okay like like because you always say you know you always say people you know a lot of people don't like collectible card games because they fear that they will get sucked into the the collection yeah. part you know of who it. fears that you and i, I because know. of our arms exactly. races exactly so listener over the years uh well, Leland has alternatively given his cards to me and oh, then man. re-bought more cards, I, you know, in which the, I will arms race him, but also use his cards against the him. The amount of times I have <laughs> sold slash given away and then rebuilt my collection over the years is, like, astronomical. It's stupid. <laughs> it's, it's, stupid. it's stupid. Meanwhile, I've really got, like, 3K in cards sitting on my <laughs> shelf. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and you know what? I always rebuild. The first thing I rebuild are my dragons. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Why do I give away? 
away my dragons. What Does it hurt you knowing they're five kilometers away on my shelf? <laughs> All of them. Beautiful dragons come to me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And I wonder if the abstract nature and the fear of getting sucked in is why Marty resisted magic. Like it was the weirdest thing how Maybe. he really resisted that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we played it a lot when we first became good friends. Yes, we did. Yeah. And it's almost weird how he never got sucked into playing. Yeah, no, like he, ne- I don't know, he never really showed any interest never at showed all. Any interest. Um, like he never, he, it was never like, uh, hey, why don't you guys show me how to play? I see what this is like. But whereas your brother, yeah, like he, he would play with us if we were bus, we were sitting down and but he would throw a deck in front of him, he'd do his best with it. Even uh, my sister played for yeah, the time because right. I remember she pulled in a Chroma Angel of Wrath. Right. Yeah. Which yeah, I yeah. later got. Thank you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet sister. Um, an interesting point I want to jump on here, because I thought you were going to call bullshit on me and say it's not important, but the portability of card games. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a big one. That's really hard to contest because, um, it's funny with board games, like, yeah, I, I love, I love looking at a hobby and then seeing the branching industries that the hobby creates that are hobby adjacent, Right. Directly related, but not necessary to enjoy the hobby, such as um, board game inserts. There are so many third-party inserts mm-hmm. for these, like these these games that that the the point of them is to make the games more accessible and easier to get onto the table by keeping them organized in a way where you could literally pop off the top of the box, pull out the three different sections, and have the components set up. Boom on the table ready for anybody to use, right? Um, and then, of course, to comport, uh, portability, all these these companies that um, are coming out with their own game-carrying bags, like these big, massive, padded bags that can fit, you know, half a dozen or more games, depending on the size of them. So, I, I know, I just, I think that's, I like that. I, I find that interesting, which, of course, tangent again, but... Yeah, portability portability is huge. Well, it's like, you know, if you were to fly somewhere to go to some con and you wanted to play games with someone, um, and it's any sort of... It's a lot easier to pack in your airline bag some decks of cards than to shove in a whole board game. Yes, 100%. And the the thing about conventions is at conventions is not necessarily what you're bringing to the conventions, but what you're bringing home. Mm. And at all these conventions, there's always a vendor hall with all the new, you know, new releases from all these publishers that have set up booths in the vendor halls. Um, you know, a chant like Gen Con and Essen, the two two of the largest uh, conventions in in the world. Um, Essen is basically just a giant. It's a games fair. It's the Essen ga- Essen Spiel's games fair, right? So ba- the main point of it is to go and, and shop. Are we talking Essen Germany? Yes. Like, okay. Yes. The core. The impetus of the original, like, That's modern right. board game yeah. industry. So, if you say, you know, you're flying over there from North America and you go and buy six or seven of the cool new releases that you think are rad, like, how the fuck do you get those home? So, there's another little spinoff industry where there's even, you know, there are places in these conventions where you can just go and there are people there that are offering you a shipping service. They'll give you a, you know... They'll bundle your stuff up and maybe give you a better rate than you would get just walking to the UPS office, you know, and paying their absorbent. I, I was actually just about prices. to ask because I was thinking in my mind that would be the best thing ever. You just go buy a bunch of games and that you get them shipped to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a decent rate. 
Well, <laughs> decent is it, it's it's super relative. Yeah. But it's funny working in the shipping industry such that I do. I see these prices and I see the heavy discounts that my company gets on with some of these carriers and how ridiculous they seem with like a 60% discount based off of our volume. Imagine walking in and getting zero discount as somebody off the street and paying like 300 bucks to ship a box of games from Germany to fucking North America. Like it's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah. So portability, yeah, portability is huge. I mean, like the funny thing is whenever I bring games somewhere, I always bring too many games, right? I bring more than we'll ever play in the two or three hours, right? You're like Santa 365 days a year. You come out of the big sack wherever we're having a tea hut party. You're like, I got the games, games, games everywhere. Play. Look, I got a game in a game. How many people? Oh, great. I got a game for that, right? <laughs> and that's the point of it, right? That's the point. So when I can throw, you know, a couple extra card games in, in my bag of games, my bag of boxes, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. I like portability. Portability is a good, a good point. But I think I've still won this. Like, I win. Right? Oh. Just like I won the Kickstarter consequence. No, I called bullshit on that i think i would like if this was a battlefield i would say you've like carved out a quarter of it you you have to win on user experience (laughs) yeah okay i'm like okay where else do you win a card game is is probably cheaper unless you invest a ton to you know okay fine okay i'm gonna gonna continue to argue that though i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to argue that and we're not running that long for the segment so that's fine Basically, okay, so if I'm paying $60 for a, a, a board game and I pay, say, 20 what would you get, a, like a starter? Magic Horse, that probably yeah. 25 bucks on For like a deck, for like a starter deck, yeah. like a pre-built yeah. deck. Yeah, you probably could get a couple starter decks for that. Honestly, they're not that expensive. I'd say 25 bucks for a couple starters. Okay. Starter Are you going to get more of your money's worth from that board game or are those starter decks going to last you long enough before you need to put more into it? Okay, well, what my argument would be is, yeah, it's 25 bucks for that core set, which seems cheap, but you'd buy a bunch of boosters at like seven bucks a pop. Um, but I mean, look okay, at how so many... Okay, so you could get another 30 bucks worth of boosters. Exactly, and my point is once you combine that with your core set, that'll last you a while. I don't know. Uh, that'll dude. last okay, you okay, at least okay. a few you could get You could get four more boosters. You can get, okay, two starters and four boosters for the price of a board game. You're going to get more out of the, those cards than the board game. Of Oof. course, it depends on what the board game is, et cetera, and, et cetera. And there how often you can of play it and how many yes, players. of course. Because you're right. The, the board game is pretty much one and done. Um, once you have, I mean, yeah, there's expansions, but it should be more or less complete. Well, yeah. Ideally, okay. uh, the game the game is being released complete. Now, would you are would you think that a is a CCG ever complete? No, no. Because if I dare look up what new cards are out right now, right. I'm you, going you, I want some. I'm going yeah, exactly. You want I can't some. look at what new cards are <laughs> right. available. Right. So you're right. It's it's not complete. And I mean, certainly, if you look at board games, I like like Axis and Allies Global, where I paid. I think 150 bucks. Yeah. And I probably dropped 1500 in my lifetime on Magic, which which do I get more bang for my buck out of? Like I played a shit ton of Magic, but if I played $1500 <laughs> on Magic, I don't think so. Because uh, 
like a fine wine. I have to buy my mythics at full price yeah, sometimes. Exactly. And things like that. Right. You know what? I I think with the amount of pressure there would be with a collectible card game to keep buying, I, I would concede to a board game there on value. Okay. I where it consistent starts to, value. Consistent. I think value. that may be better because, of course, you're not always going to pick up a board game and immediately get more value out of that right. than anything else. But I think you would consistently get more value. And I look at, but then where it gets grayer, it's um, like was uh, Netrunner a living card game? That's right? right, yeah. That gets a little bit grayer. Now, I don't know the pricing for that, but I know that if you bought a few sets worth of that, that you could run for a long time because it's living versus collectible. Um, okay, so if you got the core, the core set, which would probably be like 40, 45 bucks, Canadian anyways. And then you got a boy back in the day when it's first released. If you got the the core set and then like the first two data packs, data a data pack you could pick up for like fifteen bucks each. Now you get like thirty cards in it or something, which would be ten unique cards. I think that's what it was. Maybe those are wrong. Those numbers are wrong. But but I mean, again, you there's so many X factors because you know what you are buying. You know yes. what you're getting in those data packs. So you could you could pinpoint the data packs you want to get. To get the best, well, value that's my point. Money. And then you you you're ending up with really good value. Whereas the collectible yes. card game, you're just throwing dice at the wall, right, and hoping that you get a good mythic or good rare, right, in that booster pack. I th- my point is the line of value gets grayer with a living card game because of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I think you also have to consider uh, how you are playing that living card game. So if you if you are if you are playing in any type of competitive scene for a living card game, you need access to the entire card pool. Like you you just do to okay. to to be competitive, to stake and competitively play, you need access to the card pool. You right. need to be able to keep up and adapt to the growing meta of that competitive scene. So there's another barrier entry problem. But okay. how what percentage of LCG players are actually playing competitively. Small, small yeah, percentage. Totally. I would concede that, though, because you you think about Randy, who played Twilight Imperium 4, essentially, competitively. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter whether he's got his game or this other guy's got their game. It's just how you play the game. Right. That's, there's not a high barrier to entry. Um, you're right. In that specific situation, if you want to be a competitive living card game player, yeah, I think the value's not there in comparison. But I honestly think, like, if you're at that point where you're playing a living card game that much, it's like the value is not you so are, much in the dollars that yeah, you're spending. It's like you're, you're getting your value. You're getting like your you value are, out of yes. being competitive and trying to win That's things yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. That's true. Um, I mean, listener, we love them both. Yeah, honestly, it's really. Like, there's, it's there's, so hard. Yeah, no, it's, it's not like... like I do, we're we're both playing devil's advocate, right? <laughs> we really are. We really are. We both like them both, but yeah. Um, I think part of the fun of condescending controversy is bringing up these points that we don't really think right. about. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. It just makes you appreciate. And I think it's also like we're giving context to these abstract ideas too. I think right. Mm-hmm. And of course, that context is always going to be our own experiences. Um, but I don't know. If you're not listening to this podcast because you, you don't like our opinions, then I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because we are opinionated. 
All right. Good. Okay. So another win for Leland. So it's two zip for Leland. No, I'm not gonna concede a win there. I I would concede that like. Fine. Okay. I concede you like a forty percent. A draw. Fine. A draw. I like a gentleman's draw. I'll I'll give you the shotgun blast for a duel. We've both fired our pistol, our flintlock pistols, and have missed. We have missed. Therefore, it'll take us another month to reload them, and then we'll (laughs) see you next time, listener. Your little bit of black powder. Um, okay, let's move on to our first segment. I'm excited about this one. So this is hybrid segment, stocking stuff. Is that what we're doing for hybrid segments? That's now? what That's I'm what doing. doing. I okay. just invented it on the no, spot. I like it. Hybrid segment. We seem to be doing more. Hi, listener. It's hybrid oh segment. We seem to be, uh, to be doing more and more hybrid segments. We do. And I wanted something um, because of the time of year that this is and when this will drop uh, that's Christmas related. And this was inspired by me having a couple fairly humorous stories about um, uh, video games and board games. Well, really the humorous stories, I guess, were video games, both of them. But it kind of tied into our podcast. And so this segment's called Stocking Stuffers. So what this is going to be is a discussion of some of the best uh, Christmas presents we got that were um, video game, board game, or movie related. Um, some of the worst. I have a couple funny anecdotes and also just want to bring up in general some of the best presents that we got. Just okay. a little Christmas. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Um, so I don't know, Leland, I, I don't want to hog the mic. Do you want to start with either your best or your worst? Well, okay. I, I mean, I have one. Look. Basic okay, so what happens nowadays? Uh, you know, money money gets a little tighter as you as you get grow up and get more expensive, etc. So basically, I don't I don't get to I don't buy uh, as many new brand new releases of video games as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, very few at all. Like I still haven't picked up Red Dead Redemption Two, and shame on me! Yeah, shame, shame, shame! Ring the bell, ring the bell. But. Um, Basically, my that's strategic, because uh, as of the last few years, around the holiday, you 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 know, there's always like big releases around the holidays, right? For video games, for sure, um, capitalizing on that holiday spending. And I find that if I put off just long enough, that Marty will always pick me up. <laughs> he does. He'll always pick me up, uh, like when like the the latest hot hot game, like. Um, I think last Christmas he got me Witcher Three, so that was mm-hmm. that was cool. I had you know enjoyed playing that game, so I'm hoping come next weekend when we do our Tea Head Christmas thing, I'll have Red Dead Redemption Two in my hands. <laughs> that would be That's awesome. That's basically what I. You guys go so hardcore. I've got. I mean, I guess. Yeah, you guys go a little hardcore than I do because you guys will go like the eighty buck range or so on. Wow. Presents I go more like fifty. Marty's wife gets like. 30 bucks worth of <laughs> that's okay i still haven't got anything for that. either of them yet i don't know what to get either of them well yeah okay um i'm gonna do that fast you'll uh you'll you'll get a kick out of what i've got marty yeah i'm sure. excited to see um but i do have one actual yes. submission so uh it was not specifically a video game or movie or board game but a uh it was a video game accessory one that's very important, but back in the PS2 era, when I first got our PS2, I bought Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. And I played the shit out of the first three hours of that game because I did not have a memory card. 
Because oh, at, no. yes, at the time, you couldn't find a memory card to save your fucking life. Sold out everywhere. And I just played the first three hours of that game over and over and over because you get to a certain point. Like, I would always get to the point where I'm, I'm searching, I'm looking for the C4 as riding and trying to freeze the C4. And I couldn't save. So once I was done, I had to turn it off. I couldn't, I couldn't play anymore. And... Finally, oh, no. they came back in stock, and in the in the stocking, nice little cardboard cutout with the plastic covering of a PlayStation Two memory card. And I think it was like an eight megabyte memory card. Or something. Like, oh my goodness! Yeah. Eight megabytes is how the fucking Luya? Like, oh, salvation! It's funny because you kind of a memory card. It's like a throwaway accessory you never think I know, of. But, but it's, then it's so important. You need it. You need it. <laughs> yes, you you couldn't continue to play a game back then. No, that's funny. I never knew that story. I never knew yeah. you went through uh, that. So, I mean, I have... I think that may be one of the reasons I have fond, very fond memories of MGS2. It's like my second favorite MGS game, for sure. Well, it wasn't my best, but my first good experience with that kind of media um, was getting our TurboGrafx-16 in 1990. It was just... Uh, we had never had a video game system before. My brother and I had not asked for it. We had asked for, I forget what we asked for. We just never thought of asking for video games. We'd actually a year previous got um, a Super Nintendo from our grandparents, but it had to stay there. But that was somehow a better gift. It was like more special. It was a better system, obviously, Super Nintendo. And it was just a special thing to go to my grandparents and they'd always rent us a game, like every single time. And it was just a cool part of growing up. So that was a good present. Um, really the biggest one that was really good was 1998. So Chris got, my brother, got um, Zelda Ocarina of Time, which will technically his game, my jaw was to the floor watching him play it on Christmas Day. And I just fell in love with it. I'm still in love with that game. But I also got Mario Kart 64. So oh, cool. I really liked that. So just alternating that, those games on Christmas Day was really <clears throat> awesome. Um Getting Majora's Mask, the gold edition in 2000 was really good because I was really stoked for that game, but it blew my mind because that's one of the more unique Zelda games where they went with it, mm -hmm. how dark it was, and it's in like a parallel universe. It was really, really cool. Um, so that was really good. Uh, those were the good ones. And the, the only good board game story I could remember is we got Jumanji, the board game. And that was actually a really That's good cool. board game yeah. for a licensed game. That was really good. Yeah. So I remember we played the fuck out of that. There was also a game we really liked. I forget the name. But it was like a mechanical one where there, you're racing around a board. And then there were all these hills. And if you're at the top of the hill and someone hit the right place, you had to press a button. And this like electrical powered buzzard would like go like... <laughs> and it like spin around and pick up whoever was on the mountains and drop them into a volcano <laughs> it was like the coolest thing yeah there's a yeah there's like a rash of like electronic board games in that era a lot of which are uh, being remade now I remember Restoration Games, which we will also talk about in the next segment. I remember my sister getting Operation. Yeah. And she was so bad at it because she was so young that she would cry because she'd constantly be like <laughs> buzzing and killing this guy. She's like, get tired, get tired. Uh, She's little. Um, yeah, those are the good ones. I guess I could get into some of the funny stories sure. which kind of um, inspired this segment. The shorter funny story was my grandmother. My grandmother would always... If she bought a video game, she would give 
the one that Chris would want to me and the one that I would want to Chris to like a ridiculous degree. And the one that I remember the most, because it's the most extreme example, like, I don't know what was up. Grams, maybe he had like early, early, earliest onset Alzheimer's or some shit. But she gives us a computer game on Christmas. And I get like super skateboarding, I don't know, 1999 or something like that. And Chris gets Israeli Air Force jet simulator. And Chris and I just look at each other, and right in front of Grandma, we're just like, switch. <laughs> we just switch. And Grandma's like, oh, oh, boys, well, at least you're happy. <laughs> I was like, I was like, um, I, I remember trying to be polite, but I was like, Nanny, I like jets, not skateboarding. And Chris likes skateboarding. <laughs> not jets. <laughs> not jets from Israel. So it's like, it was the most obvious thing to do, but there are a few switches like that. That's funny. My funnier story was uh, one year my brother got uh, Sega, uh, why am I forgetting it? Game Gear. Yeah. System really ahead of its time. Shitty battery life, but for its power, if you had an AC adapter, man, that thing fucking ripped for the mid-90s. We've talked about this. We've talked about this. Oh, we talked about the story? Not the story, but okay. I mean, we've talked. We've talked about the game. Talked game about before. Game Gear, okay? Yes. And how ahead of its time it was. Yes. The portable handheld game that you couldn't take with you because it wouldn't last long enough to be portable. Well, it was two hours. Ah, you got a solid two hours at it, like Jesus. ten double A's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But in a fucking so, nuclear power. So Chris, Chris wanted this Sega. Chris wanted this Sonic game, and my dad was the biggest idiot buying. <laughs> Christmas presents ever. He'd always get it wrong. So Chris asked for my help to write his Christmas letter to Santa. And so I told my dad exactly which Zellers to go to, which shelf it was on, like middle shelf, second from the right in all the video games. I told him what video game system it was for, what emblem to look for, the exact name of the game. And I had my mom bring me to Zellers so I could find out where on the shelf within that particular case it was. And then to like tell my dad it's on the top shelf, like third from the right. And so we that was all <laughs> written in the list because we wanted the Game Gear version of Sonic. Okay, well, maybe the staff switched around their shelf placement and it wasn't your dad's okay. fault at all. But we still gave him the exact name and the system that it was for. Like, it shouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. So, listener, you can tell where this is going. So, what happens is my brother opens his gift, and sure enough, there's Sonic 1 for Sega Genesis. And, I mean, at that time, it was so easy to return things. Like, you didn't even need a receipt, I remember. We didn't even get a receipt. But I opened it up, and I walked up to my dad, and I took out this gigantic Sega Genesis cartridge, and I took the game gear, and I said, Dad, and I just started clicking the two of them together. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, click, 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 staring work. in his eye. <laughs> He's like, well, I don't, I don't know. It's just a video game. It's, it's Sega. Like, shouldn't Sega work with Sega? And it's like, no, Dad. Sega is, Sega is a brand. <laughs> it's like, what? Do you stick brakes from a Ford F-350 into a Focus, like, right. because they're Ford, Dad. Yeah, that was actually a particularly bad Christmas, because what I had asked for is really into movies, OBS, and right. there was a special video camera for kids that would connect to your VCR and, like, rate, record right onto blank VHSs, so you had a movie right there. Yeah. And I got that, and it was defective. 
So, anyways, it turned out actually my dad didn't even go to Zeller's. He tried to shoot all birds with one stone and do it at Toys R Us. I mean, mm-hmm. he still, he had the name of everything. So, I remember it was like Boxing Day, waiting in a lineup, getting a, um, like waiting to exchange things with like a thousand other people. Ugh. So, that, that sucked. That was not a good Christmas. Um, the worst presents I ever received, which you know, but this is going to jog your memory. It was actually back-to-back years. These were two bad Christmases, and we were adults. We were adults. So... My dad, by the time we were young adults, he just wouldn't buy what we asked for anyways. So we we just asked for fuck all. And <laughs> so 2007, my dad wants – my dad is a special gift. He wants Chris and I to open it at the same time. Breathalyzers, listener. Oh, I remember. Breathalyzers. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> so that we could be safe because Tiha did so much drinking back in 2007. <laughs> So what ended up happening is, first of all, I mean, it's the stupidest gift that ever existed. But uh, my brother and I ended up getting so drunk on Christmas trying to compare who could blow the highest, the highest. that we lost both of them somewhere in that house and never found them again. <laughs> so thanks, Dad. Oh, I'm sure wow. that one really worked. Yeah. Uh, the second worst, or depending on how you hear the story, the worst, um, was 2008, next year. So we have these huge gifts and it's like a gift for myself, my brother and my sister. We all get these two big gifts that are in the corner. We open them up and they're these video game chairs. So they've got like sound system. You should be able to wire in your video game sound right to those chairs. But then right away, my dad's like, wait, 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 wait. So I just got to tell you about this gift. So these chairs have to stay at my house uh, in my movie theater room. And they can never leave if you kids move out or move on. So we're like, Dad, you bought chairs for yourself? For because his media room like only had one small love seat. So he essentially bought chairs for himself uh, and then wrapped it as a Christmas gift for us, saying that they're for us. Oh, if you know, if you know Moby's dad, this is so consistently Moby's dad that, yeah, that, that it is, hurts. That is so on brand that like you couldn't be more on brand <laughs> if you tried. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, those are the those are the two worst listeners. Oh man. Merry Christmas. Wow. You filthy animal. <laughs> and a happy new year. I could just see um Scrooge to like Bob Cratchit in a Christmas carol. Like, this roast goose is for you. Now, you can't eat it. I'm going to come over, and I'm going to eat it myself. And you, you and your children can't touch it, but it's going to be in your house. And it's like, okay, Mr. Scrooge. God bless us, oh, everyone. <laughs> wow. I come back even quicker. I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> oh, Moby's dead. Jeez. <laughs> love, no. Sounds like some happy, happy uh, Christmases. Um, okay, one last thing that I have on my end that was cool, and it goes along with you about Marty buying you the coolest video game each year. Yeah. So my dad's best friend at the time, his name was uh, Dave, and he actually worked for my dad, but he was also his best friend. Followed him like all his different companies my dad would go. Dave would just quit and follow him. Um, so Dave would come out for Christmas, and he would always buy us the coolest movie that came out that year, each and every year. It's like... Just figure out what is the coolest movie and do not buy it because that blockbuster you'll have. We got Independence Day. We got Men in Black. We got Jurassic Park. Um, one year we got Blade. And then my mom 
was like watching it with us the first five minutes with like the <laughs> vampires sucking up the blood from the sprinklers. Yeah. And she's like, no! Yeah. Man, Blade <laughs> Take good this movie. demonry away. So I still haven't seen Blade. I've only seen the first five minutes. What? She like banned it. Oh, man. Uh, same thing. She gave that away. See, that was what she would do. She would lend movies she didn't like to other people. So Dave got us one year East Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> yeah. She didn't like the little tuck and tuck yeah. at the end. And so that. gave that away yeah. to some people. And uh, very passive aggressive. Because <laughs> oh, I'm lending one of your movies away. No, mother. Please, we'll never don't, see it Don't again. lend the movie to the orphanage. <laughs> It'll never come back. We know what that means. Uh, yeah, so, I don't have any, like, shitty gift stories. Yeah, like that. sounds like your parents just... <laughs> Did the amazing thing of getting you what you asked for. How amazing <laughs> yeah. is that? Yeah. Um, even non-video game related, did you get anything especially cool? Um, over the years? I remember I have... Now, I don't remember if this was Christmas or for our birthdays. I think it actually might have been our birthdays, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I think this was also one of my like earliest, earliest memories. No idea how old my brother and I were. But I remember... Uh, my grandparents came over. Man, this must have been our birthdays. I sh- this isn't a Christmas story, but whatever. Um, and I remember them, like, wheeling out a new bike for my little brother from the garage. And, like, he was so excited. And there was just a bike for him. And I'm like, oh, cool bike. <laughs> and then they're, like, for, like, tricking me. And they're, like, they open the door to their back of their car and, like, pull a bike out for me. Oh, yeah. And, like, I don't know how old we were, but I remember riding the shit out of that fucking bike, man. Oh, really? Kids on bikes, man. Kids on bikes. Kids on bikes. It's like freedom. It's like having a car. Yeah, yeah, it entirely is. It's like, we can get to the corner store in two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how, how old we were, though. Like, young enough where one of the two bikes had training wheels on it, I'm sure. Super young. That's got to be like my first memory. Mm. Yeah. Um, That's a fond memory. My favorite Christmas, and even in retrospect, I don't know why. There must have been other stuff that played into it on why it was so such a good Christmas that year too. But I think it was Christmas 89, like one of my earliest memories. But I got this giant poster like it was huge of an f-15 eagle fighter plane which was framed which even as a little kid you'd think like art would be boring but i thought it was the coolest thing um i got some good books but what i really got was a train set an electrical train set and not only was it an electrical train set but my parents went all out they had a huge piece of plywood that they had carefully attached astroturf to and then they had like screwed in a track and the power thing so it was like actually at a table with this train set and i was totally in a train yeah that's right and actually years later when we moved onto the street where i met you Mm -hmm. i tried to sell that train set and i actually wish i knew what happened to those trains because the engine from this train this guy came by and he's like uh boy is is this your train and i'm like yeah and he's like You've got it listed for $5. Now, if I wanted to buy this from you, um, I could give you the $5, but you need to know this thing's worth like $500 plus. What? I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm a train expert for model trains. He's like, this one, it came out in the late 80s. It's super, super rare. Almost nobody has it. Wow. It's CN Rail, which it was. And uh, I wish I knew what happened to that. It was 
Cool. Yeah, that was nice of him not to rip you off. Yeah, and he didn't buy it. Wow. And so I was like, I would have ripped that kid off like nobody's business. Ah, here's five bucks. Hey, you know what? I'll give you ten. <laughs> I, I remember like at that same thing, I was trying to sell Banjo Kazooie, which had only come out a year before Friend 64. Mm-hmm. And I had this woman trying to nickel and dime me. She's like, ten bucks. I don't even know if it'll work. How about five bucks? I'm wow. like, I'm like, ma'am, this, game's brand this new. is an almost brand new game. <laughs> It's like, what's the difference uh, between five and ten, woman? You're still rolling the dice. Uh, yeah. So I, what, did, what did those games go for back then? What, what did an N64 game retail for? <laughs> oh, I think it's retailed in the 70 buck range, like 69 Oh, shit, man. Now they're up to like 80 bucks. Yeah, video games are ridiculous or they expensive. Are. They are. Well, in the secondary market, too, because now all the good games for N64 have spiked in recent years. Yeah. They continue to spike. I mean, you know, not as much as they were new, unless you want case and box, but cartridge alone. I bought my half-brother Star Fox 64 for Christmas. I yeah. had to blow like, I think it was 45 or 50 bucks on just a cartridge for that. Yeah, oh, man. You know, five, ten years ago, I think it would have been eight bucks. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's how things work. Yes. Yeah, that's all I've got. Yeah, I'm, I'm good to move on. All right, let's all move right. on. Thanks, listener. <laughs> for, the, for hearing our... Stories. Yeah. I hope you found those somewhat entertaining. I hope you have a, a good Christmas and get what you wish for. Not cool. As long as you're good and Santa. Santa's always watching. Everywhere. Well, He's always watching. Well, I, I guess in uh, Valley View, they do need coal to power their... Ah, yeah. So, so you might actually, so want, might actually want... You might actually want coal. Coal. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if, you're, if you're bad up there, then uh, listener Riley will just arrest you. You don't... You don't have to worry about Santa. You actually have to worry about to listener. Worry about yeah. <laughs> You'll get the gift of the drunk team. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to Crazy About Cardboard, where, as we previously alluded to, we're going to be reviewing or talking about, you know, our usual review process of Downforce. Uh, this is a uh, newish game. I think it came out in 2017. I might, I might be wrong, but from Restoration Games, uh, Restoration Games, which of course is a company that takes uh, older, you know, almost like classic games and then revamps them and, and puts them out again um, to make them, you know, accessible. These games that older gamers may or may not have very fond memories of. Um, they actually just recently put out, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on this? I'm totally blanking on the Curse of Volcar. Something, something. Forbidden Island. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck it is. But, like, people are going nuts for this game. I don't know. The, the company's doing some cool stuff. And so Downforce is a uh, a racing, uh, like, a Formula One racing game. I always say NASCAR, but it's Formula One. Um, there's Formula One cars, and basically it's a, it's a card-driven game, and all the players get dealt out, um, you know, a hand of cards that have um, either one or more uh, colors on it, which correspond to the colored cars, and then a number with that color, which when you play that card, uh, if I played a card with a five green, four yellow, and three black, I would start at the top of the card, move the green car first, and then et cetera, et cetera, work your way down the card, and and move them that many spaces on the track. So at all, all points... Uh, possibly all six cars could move in a single player's turn. 
And that's the gist of it. I mean, uh, we can get into more specifics well, they, as we discuss things. Sure. I mean, the, the the most complicated <clears throat> mechanics, I think, which aren't that complicated, is the whole betting system. Right, right. Um, one thing that shocks me about this game, first of all, I love it. Um, I was raised in my family. My grandfather, before he passed, was very high up with 7-Eleven as a buyer. And so companies would woo him with everything. Back then, it was like totally legal and accepted, even in the 90s. So I remember like going to the Molson India a bunch of years, like getting to sit in the box right on the starting line with like player cigarettes full of flavor back in the day when that was legal and it was like you would get just the parents would get like endless beer i mean it was great like the cigarette companies you know i'm sure they killed millions of people but it's like god bless their souls when they came to marketing because they would whine and die how to do it yeah and so you know i was raised watching the molson indy and i loved it for probably two three years as a kid hmm. um i didn't know that so exciting a story I've never told. I know. I uh, have not heard that story before. Wow. Well, um, you know, racing and indie racing doesn't normally come up in our conversation. No, and, you know, my dad was a big fan. Actually, my family was on my dad's side of Greg Moore. So we used to watch all his races on oh, TV yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I actually, I didn't shake his hand, but I met him once. He yeah. lived close to one of my friends. And he just, like, he had an ordinary house. And, like, so... You know, one time we just were riding bikes by there and he's just like waxing his Dodge Viper. And so, cool. you know, kids, he and would invite, uh, he would invite like kids out and he'd BC. say, Hey, do you want to sit in it? Do you want a picture? And he'd get his housekeeper to take a picture. We actually declined the picture. We're just like, hi, Greg. Or hi, Mr. Moore. Mr. Moore and he's yeah. like, he's like a younger guy. He's like, Hey kids. That's cool. Um, but when he and Greg Moore is for our listeners who may not. Greg, know. yes, thank you. Greg Moore was um, a famous race car driver for the IndyCar series, Canadian race car driver. He was born and raised in Leland, in my hometown, which is a small suburb of Vancouver. Probably one of the most famous athletes ever to come out of uh, our small hometown. Though yeah. there are a few others. There's a lot hockey actually. players. There's within, Larry Walker, even the baseball within the player. GVRD, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, he tragically died in a single car accident during a race in, I believe, 1996. He just lost control, plowed into some tires or a wall, tires and a wall. And so many times those drivers walk away from that in those cars. Yeah, yeah. But he just died instantly. And I remember I was at a blockbuster when we got told. We, were, we had been watching the race. It was like an intermission. So my dad's like, okay, let's quickly drive up to Blockbuster, get a movie to watch when the race is done. And this blockbuster clerk was saying, oh, what are you guys doing today? Yeah, well, we were watching the race. You know, we want to see Greg Moore. Well, he just died. And we're like, what the fuck? Whoa. And so that's how we found out. Yikes. Race back home and they're, you know, showing the smoldering car and everything. Kind of one of those flashbulb memories. Oh, man. So I digress. But there is one small point, actually, with Greg Moore and Downforce. Yeah. Which is Greg Moore always raced for players, which was a blue and white car. And he's kind of a nerdier looking guy. And the nerdier, nerdy looking driver, because they all look different. And Downforce is the blue guy. He's the blue guy? I wondered if he was inspired oh, by that. I wonder. I've, I don't know about that, but maybe. It's a, it's, that's cool. It's just a guess. Well, I mean, and, and that's like... That's uh, a personal connection you now have to this it is. game. It is. Which is really cool. He's my favorite driver. Yeah, that's super cool. I am surprised, Leland, at how 
accessible this game is. Um, That's the best part of it. No, no offense, but when we play games, it's like the be- the benchmark if a game is accessible is how does Marty's wife play it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, or Chris's girlfriend. And, right, right. Well, and and the, the thing with uh, that is like the game can't be overly long um, because, I mean, yeah, like Marty's wife in particular um, doesn't like to sit for extended periods of time to play these games, you know. It's just, I mean, it's about enjoying it. If everyone's not enjoying it, then it's not right. It's not the it's not the right game to bring out for right. the crowd, right? Right. Which is which is such a good thing about Downforce. Like every single uh, playgroup that I've brought this game to has just absolutely loved it. Uh, mostly of uh, of note is my father, who's you know not in the games, but like this is like one of like three games that he just loves he loves it he loves it he loves this game and uh every time i go over and visit i'm bringing out for us with me because i know we'll play it and everyone will have a good time it's interesting now there's a board game of yours out of all your collection that has a ton of value for how much you 100 percent. i play this game so so damn much so damn much um yeah so let's go back to that that betting Mm -hmm. thing um so the way you win downforce is basically if you come out with the most winnings, the most money, and that's uh, through you you'll earn mo- money through uh, how your cars place first through sixth, and also how well you bet on who you think will come in for second or third. And throughout the race on the on the board, there are three betting lines. So this is this little yellow line, and as soon as the first car crosses each of these lines, everyone stops and they. They kind of tick on their little score sheet who, what color they think will place in top three, basically. Mm-hmm. So if I think my car, black, my black car, will, if I, uh, you know, look into my hand and I have a lot of high-numbered uh, black movement cards, I'll maybe I'll bet on myself. And if I place first, second, or third, I'll get 12, 9, or 6 million, I think, for the first bet. And as the race gets closer to being finished, the values of those bets decrease because it's more apparent who is going to finish top three. Theoretically, anyways. Uh, and then, so you tally up uh, your winnings plus your bet totals uh, subtracted by what you paid for your car or cars in less than six-player games. And it's... Okay, so I find, though, when I'm playing this game, one downside for me is that more often than not, it's incredibly apparent what car will come in first. I yes. always find there's always a significant pack leader and someone who is significantly behind. I don't know why that is. I don't know how that happens. Um, I don't know. A criticism I have, and this could just be, first of all, I noticed that. And I want to affirm that because yeah. I play this game now three, at least three times with you. And I distinctly recall that happening. Um, but in addition, I find whatever reason for me, I quickly run out of cards that matter. And so like mm. then I'm moving the stupid yellow car, which I don't have like two spaces and the blue car, which I don't have one space. And I'm like hip, hip, hooray. And I don't know if that's how I burn my cards or if I'm just given a bad hand or what. But it's always the same hand, right? Isn't No, no you, you won't always have the same. Okay. So you deal out the entire deck of cards. To all the players. So you're always getting a oh, random card. Random. Okay. But part of the strategy, of course, is to look at your hand and see what 
maybe, you know, bet on the cards that are going to work best for your hand too. That's part of it as well. And maybe that's the mistake I do because okay. I my mind is on my car and trying to get my car to win. Right. And maybe I'm playing it wrong. Well, and so I think that's where the game, uh, you know, has a built-in kind of balancing mechanic where your car doesn't have to place, you know, top three for you to win. If you're betting well on other people's cars, you can, if you have if I have my my bets on your car, Moby, then maybe instead of my car focusing on mine, I'm going to be pushing yours up too because mm-hmm. I'm going to make more cash on your cars coming first, second, or third. Mm-hmm. So I think that that you know kind of offsets that a little bit. But yeah, a lot of times by the end of the race, it's like, man, I can't do anything but help somebody that's going to hurt me. But I really okay. So when you're betting on cars, so so how the betting process is basically. Um, there are, you randomly pair a car with a random power, and the game base game comes with six different powers. They're kind of game breaking things, or, or a little give you additional uh, movement bonuses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you, when you're betting, do you focus on the power? Like, do you like key in onto certain powers, or how do you decide what you want to bet on? Um, my strategy is I usually let people burn themselves out with way too much money on the first few cars, which I okay. can tell is actually your strategy too. You tend to bet late. Um, I have yeah. found the powers, and I was actually going to bring this up. I find most of them underwhelming, maybe like two thirds or three quarters. I just okay. I have not seen that I can recall a game where I played where it's like this power game break for this car, this this punch of power. You know, I think that's good, though. I think it's good. I mean, what I wanted to bring up, and I, I don't want to go on tangents here, but um, so I'll answer the question first. No, I don't really bet on car for the power. I bet on a car where I can get a fairly cheap car okay. and then <laughs> win on my actual bets. Okay. No, I think that's and that's a that is entirely a valid strategy to win. Like, okay, I've played this. I played this game well over twenty times. Um, just this year since, since I got it. I got it for Christmas last year, actually. So that was a great Christmas gift. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. you go. Merry Christmas. Hey. So uh, I've played this game a lot and very well versed in uh, which powers are better or worse. But I would say if I were to rank any, uh, they would, one, be difficult to rank, and I'm not going to do it right now. But I think each of them, each of the powers is incredibly situational. Mm. I think they're each equally situational because obviously none of them, they all have their a, tr- a trigger, right? Which is a situation that needs to be orchestrated uh, or you randomly luck into, right? And now uh, seasoned players, if they are all aware of how each of the powers work in conjunction with each other, then you can, there's, there's that, Actually, that tiny little bit of extra depth. But now, there's not much depth in this game. It's very light. But that tiny little extra depth that can keep players a little more engaged um, by trying to, you know, to prevent those situations from happening. Which, which I think, which I like. I think that's cool. Mm. Yeah, I really like the corners. I like the choke points. The choke points. That is game breaking to me. Is what you do with those choke points. I think like. The first car through the first or second car through those choke points are the ones that are going to place top three. Yeah, but I, sorry, I feel just with what I said, I need to make a disclaimer here. When I say game breaking, I, I don't mean like 
it breaks the game and makes it a bad game. Right, right. Mechanics no, they're, are broken, they're but meaning like game determination. It's game determination. Right. Like what happens? So yes, I agree. What squeezes through helps, but also if you screw over someone, if you're waiting and you're like, haha, okay, yeah, I'm gonna ram through. Like this car should go six, but I know I can right name two and block exactly. off. Exactly. But but that actually does represent, I think, fairly accurately open wheel indie racing how it actually works in the corners if you actually see them going there the corners are tight and you'll see a car that's like flying up and some other car uses big ass to stop another car and can hold them off for the race so yeah um, that's cool yeah i really like that well and i like um so okay awesomeness game plays with six players easily the game does not uh you know adding more players doesn't add uh much more time gameplay time um the game plays very quickly you can get like two or three games of this out no problem uh, in a night, you know, in, a, in an hour, hour and a half, maybe two. Um, but I like playing with less players, I think. So um, potentially you could have more than one car. Mm. Now, okay, literally for every single time that I've played this game, <laughs> I've been playing it wrong oh. with the cons- concerning the powers. So generally, when we, the way we were playing is when we're having multiple cars, we're just keeping those powers and applying them to both our cars. But what you're supposed to do is you are supposed to choose one power and only ever have one power. Oh. <laughs> Which uh, I think makes a lot more sense and keeps things way more balanced. <laughs> um, but that single power applies to all of your owned cars, mm-hmm. which still increases the power and the likelihood of it happening. So, uh, yeah, I've been playing that wrong for a year, <laughs> but, <laughs> but whatever. And I forget. So I like I like having multiple cars because then you have more chances of blocking other people, right? You could be like, okay, I'm betting on my blue car, so my yellow car is going to be the one that I'm going to use to try to fuck over people, not worry about its placement. Because maybe, hey, maybe you were, maybe you got your yellow car for like two million, you got a cheap. Whereas, oh crap, I paid six million for my blue car. It better place well, or else I'm making no money on it. Well. Interestingly, I don't know how you could do this as a strategy, but in real IndyCar, often teams will run two cars. Right. And the less good driver, actually his job is to block and support the star driver of that team. Mm. So hypothetically, in Downforce, you may be able to use the car you don't really want right. to help block exactly. off those choke points. You know what actually would be really fun is in a six-player game, if you... Like made it a team three, game. Yes, three two-person yes. teams. I we got to try that. That would be fucking we gotta awesome. Treat, we got to try that. Tally, you tally your total. Yes. Oh, that we got to try really, that. Yes, honestly, we, will, we, have, we to have to try, try that. that. That sounds so cool. That sounds really cool. Okay, listener, we have just made house rules. Oh boy, Woo, hot damn! Now I really want to do that. Yeah, like yes. six yes. motivated people. Because yeah. I think the strategy would like almost add a new dimension to that. It totally would. It totally would. Oh, okay. that's cool. Man, this, this game is just really awesome. It, it is really Super cool. Good. You come to games um, every once in a while. Like, you have so many good board games. Yeah. But, you know, you come to games once in a while. Like, you can rip this over and over. And I think one of the best things to say about this game was with the people that we were playing with it, they immediately wanted to do a second game of it as soon as yes. we were done. Right. And, well, that's the benefit of, of having, uh, one, a, a two-sided board, which is awesome. Um, you know, the base game comes, the, the first board is beginner-ish, right? It's, it's, it's a game, it's the board you recommended to, to learn your first game on. And then the flip side of the board has, uh, way more aggressive choke points, uh, more of them, 
some maybe less straightaway stretches, which affect some of the powers, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so I think that's odd. Like the game is made, intro- introducing it, it's made to like pay, play two back-to-back games. Right. Totally. Right. Um, because I don't know, like the game ramps up with the more experienced players, I think, too. It's it's weird. I don't know. This game... Okay, I want to just go back to accessibility. Talk about accessibility. Where the six of us, four of which of us are like near blackout drunk. I can, we can, I can get this game out, teach it to... I think there was... I think it was actually only you and I that had played it before, Moby, right? Yeah. Teach it to four players. Like, shit face. <laughs> and still successfully play it and have a good time and be able to teach it and coordinate, you know, <laughs> coordinatedly play it. Like, listener, and just to say that was Leland's, uh, bartender Leland's <laughs> Jameson with a splash of Coke. Look, like, okay, so we, we were out for Marty's birthday and we had, I had had, I think, only two, maybe three beers at the bar. And Marty had the same. And we came back here and, hey, we need some more alcohol. So, like, <laughs> We went and we got a, a tea hut staple. Uh, Jameson. Diet ginger ale and Jameson whiskey. And uh, we went through a 2-6 with, for like eight drinks. Like, Yeah. There were, it, there it, were it strong drinks that I poured. And You know, my liver is granite these days. <laughs> and that thing still punched me in the face. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty hungover the following day. Uh, but man, this game is just, it's so fun. It's it so is fun. so fun. Do you have more about the game specifically, or I? Here's what I got. So I want to review the game. Okay. And I I do have two similar games I want to bring up to see if you've ever played them or heard of them. Okay. So I don't know if you want to review at the end or review. Well, well, well. We know. can rank at the end. Let's just put it in the ranking at the end. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that at the very end. Okay. So can I talk about these two yeah, games yeah, yeah. that I want to play? Absolutely. You talk about those, and then I'll briefly talk about the expansion too. Okay. Um. There's a similar game. Formula One based that seems very popular, very well reviewed, called Formula DE. Have you heard of that? Yeah, Formula D, Formula Day. There's a couple of different iterations of it. But. Well, what's cool about it, and I don't know how it works at all the mechanics, but I know gearing, which yeah. is an important part of open wheel racing, or I guess any racing, is involved in that. And that what how what gear you're in actually um, influences your die rolls. Yes, which I think dictates. Is a really cool yeah, dictates how. I think it dictates which die you get to roll. And how far you can move. So the higher gears, you have a, a bigger die, meaning you could move further. Yeah, and there's like a deterioration mechanic in it, I think. And yeah, the whole... It's, it sounds cool, and there's yeah. a lot of people that rave about it. Um, there's another one that I'm interested in, and it's got good reviews, but on the surface, I don't know how it could be that much fun. It's called Rally Man. And Never heard of this. It's it's rally like you know big tires going over bumps and like the wilderness and shit. But you're actually <laughs> okay. race somehow. You're it's it obviously it's a multiplayer board game, but you're racing against the clock. It's a time trial. You're not racing against each other. Okay. And we've just had, I would say, subpar experiences in the past playing games where we're not competing. Where we've made comments, I know, and I'm trying to think of games off the top of my head, but we. It was back in the Marty days, the battle days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the all or nothing days. Where it's like, um, you know, you're saying, well, more feels like we're just playing this game independently. Maybe Charterstone was, we made that comment. I think probably, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, so I wonder if you're just time trialing, you know, if you it really feel like. Yeah, it wouldn't be as exciting, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. But it's got lots of people say it's good. And it's kind of like the boxer looks cool. It's a cool idea. Hmm. 
So I wanted to. I never heard of that. Too. That's interesting. Rally Man and Formula Day. Cool. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a ton of good ones. Like uh, there's a, a an older one called Jamaica. It's like pirate ship racing. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, Thunder Alley. Uh, one I want to pick up is Flamme Rouge, where it's like it's bicycle racing. Uh-huh. You have two bicycle. Uh, Bicycle cyclists, <laughs> bicyclists, <laughs> and um, I don't really, I don't know what the terms for them are, but basically, one is like the sprinter, and the other is like the long range. I think so. Each cyclist has their own like movement deck. I think I'm not entirely sure how it works, but um, it seems really cool. It's also another popular one that uh, pretty recently had an expansion put out. I want to pick that one up. Uh, I don't know. There's actually like a surprisingly there's a surprising amount of racing games. I mean, even like uh, Camel Up, which we've we've played that yes, one before. Yes, that was that one actually just had a second edition printed out with like oh. kind of revamped art and whole kit and caboodle, which was a fun one. But I think, and which I also own, but like we broke that out that one time like two years ago, and haven't brought it out since. And I think if I had to if I had to choose between Camel Up and Downforce, it would be Downforce. Yes. Yeah, it'd be downforce because because Camel Up is less of a racing game and more of a betting game. Yes, you're betting because you don't you don't have any skin in the game as far as you know controlling interest in any of the camels that are racing around, Mm -hmm. which is much different than downforce. Right. So downforce killed Camel Up for me. (laughs) I don't know. I just really like downforce. But so the expansion that came out this summer, I think it dropped in July, called Danger Circuit, comes with uh, two new tracks and six new powers. The tracks are, are pretty cool. Um, they they introduce some new mechanics, and um, like one track is like kind of this kind of like uh, rally racing. Actually, it's a very dirt road, and there are sections of the track which kind of serve as choke points, but they're like half squares, and they're like broken road, so you can't okay, cool. your car can't stop in it. You can't end your movement in one of those broken spaces. One, because it's only a half space. Your car can't fit in it. And it basically, it, the mechanic is that it takes like twice as your movement to move, right? Because st- it's still a point of movement per half space. So you can use it as like a passing lane if you have the movement. If you have like six movement, you can zip around. But otherwise, if you need six movement and you only have four, you can't You can't go that way. You're stuck. So it's kind of more choke, chokey point. And then the other one... Um, it's kind of it's weird like a like futuristic one that has like these loop to loops. So you you enter one and then you it just you know a little circle and then you come out the other. So they make this cross section which you can which more blocking can happen. Like as someone's coming out of the loop, you can be blocking someone going through the loop, right? It's like they're they're super cool. It's entirely worth getting if you like this game at all. Uh, the new powers. I don't know what to really say about them. I'm not, obviously, not nearly as well versed with the new powers as I am uh, with the core powers, just because I haven't played with them nearly as much. But uh, it's just more variety, which That's the cool. game the game needs, right? If you a game so accessible and so easy to get to the table, I think uh, there's more credence for that for uh, variability that it needs it more than a, another game made. I think. That's my opinion, anyways. I don't know. But we should, yeah, definitely play the expansion. We should. We should. Um, I'd like to give it a shot. And, uh, yeah, like you said, this this game has classic written all over it. And, like, classic for us. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you may end up selling half your collection later. 
we never noticed because we haven't played half of them. But <laughs> downforce you will keep. Yes, absolutely. You know your father will disown you and That's you want right. to keep your father. I have to get my dad his own copy. You will. He's asking for his own copy. But. Really? Wow. Your dad really does like he this He loves game. this game. He loves, oh. he loves this game and he loves the mind. He loves the mind? He loves the mind. Okay. Your dad. He cheats like a motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> but I don't know. Like when, when I bring uh, downforce in the mind, boom, two easy stables. I'm bringing over for a family dinner. And we'll play those to our hearts' contents and just die wow. laughing. I love the mind too. Like when we went to when we went went to Paris in July, like I pack the mind and like the it's so funny. The best parts of going to Paris were just going out one going out for dinner and then coming back to the hotel and busting out like the mind. <laughs> like why the fuck did I have to go to Paris to do that? Yeah, you could have just hit up McDonald's for a cheeseburger. I know exactly, pops. exactly. Saved yourself a couple grand. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's say compétent. Do you want to uh, you want to rank? Yeah, let's let's rank. So, um, so to remind listener, we have our what we do with our board games is we we don't give them a number like we would a movie. Um, hell, we don't do that for video games either, do we? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think, think so. so. Uh, we we rank them against the other games that we've we've talked about. So why don't we why don't we start with you off? Currently, our ranking for you is Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition at the top, followed by Transatlantic. Uh, then Kemet, and then ending with This War of Mine. Where does Downforce slot into that list? Now, again, and I always preface this by saying I really like the games that I have at the top. Um, this game would come slightly below Kemet, but above This War of Mine. So what? Not low on the I, okay. Okay, granted okay. the list is not very big. The, the list is not big. I love Transatlantic. I love yeah. it. Twilight Imperium Four. I just love to absolute death. Okay. Now it is close with Kemet. And okay. where Kemet, I know you really it, like Kemet. Where Kemet edges it is, I love its like power system. Yeah. With the the summoning sure. beasts and those things, I love that system. That's what edges it out okay. just a little bit. Okay, that makes sense. And and okay, so the thing about this our ranking system is that we don't really review board games all that often, and the ones that we talk about are the ones that we generally really like. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's not much controversy, and we're very rarely going to be shitting on these games. Exactly. So that makes sense. Okay, so for me, I'm honestly thinking that I'm okay. My list: uh, Transatlantic at the top, followed by. TI4, then Kemet, then this war of mine. Now, I, I fact, okay. This game, I, I factor in a lot of different things. Just being able to bring this and have my dad love it and play it is a huge boon for me personally for this game. So I am going to be putting this game right under Transatlantic. Wow. Above TI4. Above TI4. Below Transatlantic. And that is mostly. Because of accessibility, Tra- okay, Transatlantic. I just, I, lo- I don't know why I love. The we all fuck. love. It. I love that game. We I all love it. All T Hud loves it. I love Transatlantic. I don't know what it is about that game, but it just like touches me in all the right spots, and I want it to keep touching. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I will. So, sh- I will ship. Here we go. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna load coal. Oh, coal. Oh, that's right. The president <laughs> will come. I'll take my blue ribbon. <laughs> That's why I like it because I can say blue ribbon. Stri- <laughs> we've not- never. I don't know if we've ever actually said it in proper English. Like I can't no. even no. define. For it's listening. called it's blue ribbon. It's called the blue ribbon in the game. That's what you say. That's, That's what, what you get. 
God forbid we ever say God not blue ripoff. Because I'm not even going to say what we can't say. I will not defile the ripoff. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, Downforce, uh, another big hit with us, right? Yeah. So, um, I know you're going to do the end of show stuff, yeah. but um, I just want to – are we going to do an end of year wrap-up, do you think? I'd be down. But yeah, we can do a bonus if you want. A little bonus. Sure. It'd be cool because I have some time near the end of the month. Okay. But uh, I do want to wish listener uh, Merry Christmas, uh, season's greeting, happy holidays, all that stuff. Yep. We do appreciate you listening to us. Um, Even though it's been a year of transition, um, cutting off some dead weight and malcontent. (laughs) um, You know, we we made some changes. We shuffled the deck. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) It's it's all for the best, yeah. listener. Um, as I'm sure you agree. Yeah, I hope I do hope that you enjoy the new format, and we are hoping to do lots of cool, bigger, and better things come 2019. Which nice segue. Yes, uh, we are launching our Patreon. We have briefly mentioned it. We didn't mention it last episode, which I should have like recorded maybe a little bit of it and just put it in. But uh, January 15th, with the next full episode release date. We will be launching our Patreon page. Yes. And we'll we'll let you know, listener, exactly what we're doing with the money. Um, the fact is, as much as we love doing this, the basically it's costing us about $100 a month before any sort of equipment or software purchases to do the podcast right now. Right now we're paying for it all out of our own pockets. We'd like to recoup that plus make some investments in software and hardware to do some additional stuff. Yeah, the, the, so, the normal stuff. Right? The, normal, the stuff. normal stuff. And so we'll have some ideas on that and some levels of Patreoning. We're working on that right now, and that will launch right at the beginning of January. Sweet. All right, uh, regular end of show stuff. Um, if you want to listen to some past episodes and see some of our written content which we do very few of lately <laughs> yes you can all visit our website ttpopcast.com we got everything up there we got links to our social media our instagram um haven't linked to our youtube channel actually but that is growing and will continue to grow in the future hopefully and i'm on twitter you can search leland steel I occasionally uh, bug Leland on Twitter. Yes, you do. You do like to just trash talk everything. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> Anywho, uh, thanks for sticking around. Uh, I'll, I'll second the uh, holiday uh, greetings and wishes that Moby put across to all you listeners. Uh, I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.